All right, good morning, everybody. Glad to be here. This is the, we're going to talk about lessons eight and nine in the Holy Spirit today. Um, once we get done with the, the teaching part, we're going to do some impartation at the end. Uh, some of the guys here help. For those of you that uh, this is somewhat of a new concept to, or it's been a long time since you've kind of visited this topic, watch your head. Uh, <laughs> uh, or if you just want a fresh anointing of Holy Spirit, we're going to do some impartation uh, at the end of the teaching, and so I would highly encourage you to spend some time receiving. We've got some guys here that are going to come up. We'll just do it up here and kind of around the room. There's another one. Watch your head. <laughs> there, Yeah. So, walking with the Holy Spirit and walking in step with the Spirit is kind of the overall theme of what we're going to talk about today. Many of us, depending upon kind of your spiritual raising, have not had any experience with the Holy Spirit in a daily type relationship is what I'm talking about. For me, uh, growing up in the Methodist church, and please don't hear me saying anything negative about the spiritual foundations that were laid for me, because they were, but there was not a lot of living, active relationship with the Lord through the Holy Spirit, right? Things, you know, in the Methodist church, we referred to it as the Holy Ghost, which kind of communicates dead, right? Not, Not living and alive. And so... When I came here 10 years ago, um, this was all very foreign to me. Uh, There's a lot of things foreign about coming to this church. Um, Some of you have heard me tell the story about the first time that I ever came here and how mad I got that people were walking around while Pastor David was talking because they were taking communion, um, which is not, you only do that once a year, right? When When you go up front and kneel at the altar, you know, and they come by with the elements. And so there's a lot of kind of doctrine type things I had to work through before I kind of opened my mind and opened my heart to the fact that God really does desire a daily relationship with me and with you. And so if that's the place you're in, it's important to know that this is a learning process. It's like a tuning process. I see some gray hairs in the room, so some of you are going to remember what it was like to tune a radio before we hit a button and it just the number showed up. Randy claims not to, but that's not true. He's also familiar with eight tracks um, and four tracks, yeah. Um, and so if you think about those old car radios that we used to have where, you know, where we would tune the dial and the needle would move, and what would it sound like if we got just a little off? Right, get fuzzy. Right? It was kind of hard to hear. You could kind of make something out, but couldn't really tell what it was. The farther away you got from the right frequency, right? And this is a similar thing. If you've never experienced the Holy Spirit where you've really been tuned into Him and you understand and experience what it's really like, well, then you don't really know how, you know, it's difficult to know what that's like if you've never experienced it. That's what I'm trying to communicate. So I hope 
If that's you, please come get some impartation today. We will work on that. But it's a learning process. You have to practice it. How many of you instantaneously had a good marriage and a good relationship or a good best friend relationship? It takes time, right? You have to invest in that relationship and get used to it and pour into it. And the same is true with your relationship with the Holy Spirit. If we want to strengthen our belief in that, we have to change. And I talked about this in the other class. Remember, I talked about changing your experience. If you want to really experience the Holy Spirit, then you need to, are you putting yourself in a position to really hear from Him? Are you putting yourself in a place to serve where you can really encounter what the Lord has for you and has for other people? So this lesson will be fairly Scripture heavy, I'll just warn you, okay? I heard a couple of days ago, I heard a, a speaker say, and it may have been at the XO conference, um, to always put in your lesson plan a lot of scripture. That way you know at least something in there is right. Right? And so this is a fairly scripture-heavy lesson plan. Uh, just If you want to just write down the address, go back and look, at, look it up for yourself later. That would be good um, because I'm going to go through it pretty quick. Almost every writer in the New Testament talked about walking with the Spirit, or that concept in their own terms. Jesus, on the very last night of his life, told his men that the Holy Spirit would come to be with them as a companion and in them, indwelling. In John 13 through 17, through those four chapters, he talks about what that relationship or what that walk with the Spirit will look like and what they can expect. In John 13, 20, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So receiving the Holy Spirit is a choice. Receiving Jesus is a choice, right? The Holy Spirit comes to us when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, but that's only the beginning of our relationship in a daily walk. John 14, 16, I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. And so the Holy Spirit will never, ever, ever leave you. No matter what happens. No matter what you do. No matter how bad things get. No matter how you know, giant the challenge in front of you seemingly is. The Holy Spirit will never, ever leave you. John 14, 26. But the Helper, and you see that reference a lot, the Helper... The Holy Spirit, whom my Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit possesses all wisdom. So we know he's a choice. He's with us forever. He has all wisdom. John 15, 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father will bear witness about me. Because God loves you, truly loves you. He has sent the Holy Spirit to you to bring you all wisdom forever. Now stop and think about that for a minute. There will never, ever again, once you have invited the Holy Spirit in, there will never, ever again be a time when you are alone. There will never, ever again be a time when you don't have access to what God thinks about something. That's pretty powerful. 
John 16, 13, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. Holy Spirit guides us into truth by speaking on God's authority. It's like having a conduit straight plugged into heaven. That's what I want in my life. I know what it looks like when I'm not doing that. And it's an incredible mess, right? So let's recap those scriptures for just a minute. There's six of them. Holy Spirit's been sent to us, receiving him as a choice. He'll dwell with us forever. He has all wisdom. I accidentally skipped one. John 16, 8 tells us he will convict us concerning all sin and all righteousness. That gets back to the wisdom part. And the Holy Spirit guides us into truth by speaking on God's authority. So we have to receive him first. We have to allow him in. Right? Once we do that, we then have to foster that relationship just like you foster a relationship with anybody else in your life whether it's your spouse, a friend, co-workers, whatever. Paul talked about this a lot in uh, Galatians 5. Now the works of the flesh are evident, and there's a whole list of them. I'm not going to go through the whole list. But he warns us against those, as he's warned us before, that those who do such things, and that's the list of idolatry, sorcery, orgery, all that stuff, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is a product, right? It's what is produced in our life. What's it called in the, what's the name of the grocery store section where you find fruit? Produce, Produce section, right? It's a product. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there are no law. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So what he's telling us here is keeping in step with the Spirit produces what? Love, peace, patience, joy, all that, right? How many want that in their life? I do. How many military guys, ex-military guys we got in here? Some of you may be Civil War. <laughs> I, I forgot this was a recording. <laughs> um, what does it look like when a formation is in step? Looks sharp, right? Sounds sharp. It looks sharp. They're getting someplace with a mission. How visible is it when somebody's out of step? Right? The difference in, like, the ROTC marching versus, I don't know, whoever. I don't want to offend anybody. Marine Corps, maybe? Air Force? Army? I don't know. Regiment, okay, right? They look sharp, they're in step, it's clear they know where they're going, they're on a mission versus somebody in that group that's not and they're out of step and it's clearly visible. The same is true in our life. If we're tuned into the Holy Spirit and we're in step with Him, we're headed in the right direction. When we get out of step, it becomes clearly visible and if you have a group of people around you, a small group of believers around you, it's going to be visible when they're out of step. And you can speak into those things. And you want people around you that can speak into you when you're out of step a little bit. So let's talk a little bit about kind of what it learned, some practical thoughts about learning to keep in step with the Spirit. Remember, it's a learning process. You have to learn this. Number one, 
we have to approach the Holy Spirit as a person. He is not some distant king on high that kind of looks down on us. And it's easy. Some of you have that mindset about God. I did. But we have to approach the Holy Spirit as a person, just like we would with the person that's sitting next to you if you were going to engage in a conversation. Just like we will later when we do impartation, when we're going to be close to one another and praying for one another. If we don't see the Holy Spirit in that fashion, then what does that relationship really look like? Do we really believe that He lives in us and He's our helper and He dwells within us? Or is it some kind of distant thing that's difficult to approach with problems or guidance or when you want to seek wisdom? We have to approach Him as a person. Number two, discover His presence within you. Begin to live your life as if the Word of God is true. If you're anything like me, and over the course of my journey, where I've struggled with really allowing the Word of God to really be the kind of the standard in my life, and that's a journey, by the way, everything that you encounter from the world will oppose that. It will. The the world will tell you something completely different about that. But an uncommon lifestyle produces an uncommon life. And if you desire that uncommon life, right, where you want to be set apart, that's an echo of your creator, by the way, that desire that exists within you to be set apart. We are image bearers as men. That desire we have to matter, those of you that remember our boot camp clip from Pearl Harbor, right? Not anxious desire, just anxious to matter. That desire that's in you is, is a reflection of your creator. But in order to do that, I think it's fin- is it Don Finto that talks about the opposite spirit, right? Where we encounter things in the world and we're going to have to take a stand in opposition to things that the world will tell us is okay. The only way to know when to do that is by seeking Holy Spirit's wisdom. Number three, learn to drink every morning. Jesus talks about this in John 4 and John 7, and he refers to the Holy Spirit as living water. We must learn to come to him and drink. John 4, 14, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. John 7, 37 through 39. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But it says, Now he said this about the Holy Spirit, and he just described coming and drinking from the Holy Spirit. He says, Now that he said this about the Spirit, whom those believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus hasn't been crucified yet, but he's already telling people, you have to drink from the Holy Spirit when he arrives. So when he arrives in your life, Whenever that is, some of you it's happened, some of you maybe not, I don't know. We have to learn to drink from him every morning. How many of you have, think you'll have a successful marriage if you talk to your wife once a week? She's probably not going to let that happen, first of all, honestly. <laughs> Thankfully. Or have a good, godly friendship with another guy 
where you talk once a month or only on Sunday mornings between 9 and 11, <coughs> right? What kind of relationship would that produce? A couple hours in passing on Sunday morning. That's not, a, that's not a healthy, godly relationship that's producing fruit, right? Same is true with the Holy Spirit. As we go through the day, we have to learn to spend time in relationship with Him. Now, what does that really look like? All right, I'm not telling you that you have to build an altar in your office and light candles and turn on praise music four times a day, and that's the only way to do it. He's in you already. So what does it look like if you turn off the talk radio while you're driving to work and communicate with Holy Spirit? Invite Him into the day. Or put on praise music and praise and worship while you drive to work. We have to have that inward ear that's tuned into Him where we're listening for His guidance throughout the day. Right? But then here's the other part. We have to be ready to obey what we hear. He's going to tell us things that will stretch us. He's going to tell us things that our flesh will rise against and not, you won't want to. Right? But if we've really got him tuned in and we're really obedient and we believe he is who he says he is and we really believe that he's going to lead us into all wisdom like Scripture says, we really believe that the word is truth, then we're going to obey him and let the chips fall where they may. And that's sometimes not an easy thing, right? Because the flesh rises up, right? Things sometimes it's not the enemy. Sometimes it's just our flesh. It's something we want to do or we don't want to do that, so we tune out a little bit. How many of you have ever been in a conversation with your wife where she's telling you something you didn't want to hear and you just kind of... And then the conversation's over and you're not totally sure what she just said. Come on, some of you aren't nodding. That's a 100% answer right there. Same thing's true here. Right? Yeah, the wife here names where you turn the volume the other direction. That doesn't produce a healthy marriage, nor does it allow you to receive some of the wisdom that your wife has. She's also designed to be our helper, right? So... I hope that creates, every day, that's the kind of the way we need to walk through the day with that ear tuned into him. That takes practice. Quinn, when he teaches hearing God at boot camp, some of you have heard this, that he says the enemy, like, or the deceiver, likes to mess with your receiver. Right? You all heard that line before, right? I'm totally going to steal that for the rest of my life. Really, this is just a collection of plagiarism anyway. That's why I put scripture in there, because I know it's, that part's right anyway. But that's what the enemy likes to do to us as we go through the day, whether it's through distraction, social media, sports center. We justify sometimes not being able to listen clearly because we don't have time. How many of you have gone through that battle where I just you don't understand how busy I am? You know, I've got work and I've got kids and I've got a marriage and I've got to play golf or whatever your hobby is. I'm not saying anything bad about hobbies, but we, we stack things up and as we prioritize them, and Holy Spirit tends to get pushed down throughout the day. And then we justify that because, well, I've got to be a good provider, or I've got to do this, or I've got to do that. I know for me in my own walk, and so, I know some of you may have heard me talk about this before, but 
that was me not so very long ago, four or five years ago, where I didn't have time to read the Word. I couldn't get, I mean, I'm not going to get up early every morning. I've got to get up and get, I'm a, I'm a wake up and can almost stand up dressed kind of morning person, you know? How many of those guys we've got where you just, you could literally sleep in your clothes, stand up, walk out the door and go to work and be wide awake, right? That's me. And so when I wake up, I'm ready to go, right? I just wake up. And so forcing myself to develop some discipline and stop just getting dressed and leaving the house and spend some time with the Lord each morning was a, a bigger deal than it probably should have been, frankly. It shouldn't be that hard, but it was. And all I did was start with 15 minutes. I decided one year, that, or the Lord had told me one year that I really needed to read the entire Bible. I'd never done it. And so I did one of those 365-day plans, right? Well, if you've ever tried one of those, they take about 20 minutes a day, right? That's about it. You'd have thought I was donating my last liter of blood, right? I mean, it was just like this massive sacrifice, like, oh, my Lord, I don't want to do this, you know. Well, that's, where's my receiver there, right? I'm a little bit, the needle's moved a little, right? But the needle began to center as the year went on. And some of you are probably very disciplined studiers of the Word. My wife is one of those, for example. She gets up at 5 o'clock every day and spends an hour studying the Word. I'll just confess, that sounds awful to me. Like, I can think in my mind, how much stuff could I get done in that hour at work? Before anybody else gets there, I could get all my emails responded to. I could get the whole day planned out. You know, you guys know what I'm talking about. But I was watching that occur, right, every morning. She'd be up doing that. And so as I began to move and start developing the discipline to do that, 15 minutes turned into 20 minutes. 20 minutes turned into 30 minutes. That 30 minutes, then my heart began to shift into a really deep love for studying the Word. And this took place over a couple of years, guys. This wasn't a two-week deal, right? It took two years for me to kind of... I was doing the 365-day Bible study and Jesus Calling at the same time, right? Any one of you can do Jesus Calling. The paragraphs are like this, right? About four sentences with an accompanying scripture. But all that was happening is the Lord was kind of pushing me into develop the daily discipline to really study. Well, now I have about seven translations of the Bible that I open when I study in the morning, and I really love getting into the original language and the translations. And now it may take me a week to get through four or five verses, because I really start unpacking them and pulling them apart and trying to learn what the Lord's really saying in those areas. And I really love it. But it wasn't that way one time, at one time. It took time to get there, and I had to be plugged in and listening to the Holy Spirit and being willing to follow what He was prompting me to do. And there were days I didn't want to. More days than I'd care to admit that I didn't want to. But the fruit that was produced was a much deeper knowledge of God's Word than I had four or five years ago. And so, as you engage Him each day, your discipline will improve, the the tune-in portion will improve, right? You'll start recognizing His voice quicker and what He's telling you. Um, I've said this in other classes, but you'll also learn to recognize what's counterfeit quicker. Because you've 
listen to the, you, you can hear the authentic voice of God, right? You know, some of you, I don't know if you've heard this or not, but when I was on the police department, we used to joke about the Secret Service could never really detect counterfeit money without bank tellers. Because bank tellers handle the real thing so much that they can just pick up fake money and they, they know right away this is fake. The same thing's true with God's Word, right? We should be so familiar with it that we immediately recognize things that aren't from Him. Does that make sense? That takes time and it takes practice. So, let's move. What time we got to be done, Randy? 10? 10? 10 till. 10 till, okay. Um, so, let's, that's kind of, that's lesson eight, right? That's, that's for you. That's about your own relationship with the Holy Spirit, developing that relationship, tuning into Him. So, now let's assume for lesson nine that that's what you're doing. And now it's time, because you're full, what do we do now? We pour out to others, right? We're going to start ministering to other people. Jesus always empowers his men and women to do the work that he sends them to do. He will not send you to do something without empowering you to do it. Luke 9.1, and he called the twelve together and gave them the power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. He felt so strongly about being empowered by the Holy Spirit before you do things. What did he tell his apostles the night before he was crucified? Do not leave here until you, the Holy Spirit comes. Do not go out and do anything. Don't spread the gospel. Don't take that authority. Don't go out and do those things until the Holy Spirit comes to you in here. Luke 24, 29. I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. It's said another way in Acts 1, 4 through 8. He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he had absolutely no thought of sending them out to start carrying out the mission without empowering them to do so. And this one thing that they needed to wait for was the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And so that should communicate to us how important it is to have that relationship with the Holy Spirit before we go out and do anything. We need the daily interaction with Him. Because some of you guys have been around a while, around the church a while. You've served, you've been in service, you know, around different, in different areas of the church. How many of you ever tried to minister to somebody and it was completely empty feeling, right? Where there wasn't just, it was just bleh, you know? Now, that, this is not an assignment of blame. I'm not saying you weren't with the Holy Spirit. It could have been who you're praying for, right? They weren't in tune with the Holy Spirit. They weren't really, hadn't developed that relationship, so they had trouble receiving. Go back to what Quinn said. They had trouble receiving because their receiver's off a little bit. They can't hear it. Make sense? I know I, being on the prayer team, there's a lot of times when people have come up and, and received prayer and they walk away, and absolutely nothing's different, right? There's nothing different about that encounter, about them after that encounter. I have a responsibility as a member of the altar team to make sure I'm in tune and saying what the Lord is prompting me to say. But there's also a responsibility on their part to be to be willing to receive that and listen to it. It's all about the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
So when the Holy Spirit comes, He delivers an anointing to us, right? And so as we minister to people, we're ministering in that anointing of the Holy Spirit. Acts 10.38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. The anointing, he was, Jesus went and ministered in the operation of the anointing. Right? So the Holy Spirit's on him. He's got the anointing, which is, we can call that, or we'll define that as just a special coming upon, setting apart, or an empowering of the Holy Spirit. That's the anointing. So who's called to minister in the anointing? Come on, that's an easy one. All of us, right. Ephesians 4.12. This is, the, this is the, the chapter and verse that kind of defines the offices within the church. He gave some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. That's our mission, is to build up the body. Ephesians 4.16, just a little bit later, says, From the whole body, joined and held together by every joint which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so when we're operating in the anointing, what are we doing? We are equipping and building the body of Christ. We are attracting people to the body of Christ. Remember Jesus, that's what the apostles were commissioned to do, right, after Jesus was, was crucified. But go back to what Jesus told them before they went out and did that. And the same applies to us. If you do it absent the Holy Spirit, it's empty. Jesus told them not to do that. Neither should we. So in 1 Corinthians 12, this is where the list of spiritual gifts appears. This is a result, operating in these gifts, recognizing and operating in these gifts, is a result of operating in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, right? Holy Spirit comes, Scripture is clear, we have access to all of them, but some of us at different times will have greater strengths in certain gifts. Some of us will maintain that strength in a certain gift for a lifetime. For some of us, it'll go like this. There'll be different seasons where we move into different areas of strength, depending on where the Holy Spirit's taken us. And so, you know... This weirded me out when I, well, the first time I ever heard this. I had never heard anything like word of knowledge, right? My experience with people in word of knowledge and prophecy was TV evangelists, and it was all fake, and everybody was on the payroll. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Some of you are nodding. You have that same suspicion. And so what changed that for me was a, was a Randy Clark healing conference that happened here in 09, I think is when it was, 08, 09, somewhere around in there. And I was, I was sitting in the risers, you know. I was afraid somebody would see me at church, so I sat in the risers. Nothing against you if you sit in the risers. Don't take that personally. I'm not saying that's why you sit there. But as this healing conference started to go through the night, you know, he, and for those, how many of you have been to a Randy Clark deal, right? So you guys know what I'm talking about, right? He'll just get words. He'll, he'll stand up there and get words and say, anybody with a left elbow, pain, you know, and a bunch of people will stand up kind of deal. And then he prays for him. Uh, he'll have people around those people lay hands on him and all, all on that person or whatever. Well, then there's a time where if anybody received a healing, this is where they, is it 50% better? Is it 80% better? Is it, you know, that kind of deal? And then people will come and say, yes, it's better. It's completely healed or whatever. And so this goes on, for those of you that have been to one of those conferences know, this goes on for a couple of hours, 
through, through the night, right? And so I was sitting back there watching this occur. And at the time, I was, I was still on the PD, so it was kind of an investigator mindset. I was like, okay, that person probably works for Randy Clark. That person probably on the payroll. That looks fake. Just judgmental as I could be, you know. And, yeah, now nah, nah, that lady, she didn't even limp when she was coming in here. You know, that kind of attitude. Well, as the night wore on and the Lord began to work on me about that, I realized that it had become statistically impossible that he's got all these people on the payroll or he would not make any money coming to the conference, right? It's just, but this would be a bad business model, right? And so the Lord began to open my eyes about the spiritual gifts and the working of miracles. And so then I went, my first boot camp, I think, was in 2011, I think. Got invited in 2010. I don't need that foolish crap, you know, that kind of attitude. I was a peach, I'm telling you. Well, so you guys that have been to boot camp know there's a time when we pass the hat for this, the tip for the staff, right? You know, we're going to bless the staff with some money. Well, I'd forgotten my wallet. And the Lord had done some things in me and stirred some things in me, and I really wanted to bless the staff because I knew they'd taken care of me or taken care of us. And so I was going back to my cabin, and I encounter Quinn. Didn't know Quinn. I only knew him as Coach Conley because that's what everybody else called him. He didn't know me. Um, well, what nobody, with the exception of one person, knew at that whole boot camp was that I had a torn meniscus in my knee. And I'd heard it at, at work a few weeks earlier. And I was going to have surgery after boot camp was over. It wasn't a serious injury. It wasn't causing me to limp or anything. It just hurt, you know, that kind of deal. And as we're walking by each other on the sidewalk, Quinn says, hey, how's your knee? You know, that kind of reaction. I was like, what? And he said, well, the Lord told me that, that, to pray for your knee. You know, and so now I'm really freaked out. I'm like, trying in my mind to figure out how could Quinn have possibly known about my knee. I go talk to my friend later. Why did you tell Quinn? He's like, well, who's Quinn? You know, kind of deal. And there was no other way other than he was operating in the gift, knew the Lord prompted him to pray for my knee, and he did. And so the reason I tell you those couple of stories is, is if you're a little uncomfortable with the spiritual gifts, God's okay with that. He wants to bring you into areas where you can identify those gifts that are prevalent within you and operate within them. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom, gift of prophecy, gift of faith, gift of healings, working of miracles, discerning of spirits, tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. That's the list. Tongues always freaks people out. But if there's a stirring within you to, to start praying in tongues, again, I'll go back to boot camp with Quinn a couple of years later. I just asked him. I said, I don't know. I would really like to pray in tongues. I'd heard people do it. It wasn't as freaky as I thought it was going to be. It was kind of pretty cool, especially if you get somebody that's got them on the interpretation side in the room and that's picking things up, right? And Quinn said, well, have you opened your mouth? No. It's like, well, if you want to pray in tongues, you've got to start talking, you know? And... I, what I believe is that the Lord's given me a couple of words to say. During, that's all. 
Just a couple of different words that I don't understand that I pray when we're really asking for an anointing of the Holy Spirit up front, right? But his point is kind of the one I'm trying to make. If you feel a stirring in some of these spiritual gifts, Holy Spirit, you know, and we can work on this during impartation here in just a little bit. If that's a desire that you have, you know, if you feel a stirring toward prophecy, which is, should be the spiritual gift that we all desire the most, according to Scripture, right? Just to speak truth and life over people and what they're going to be. I'm not talking about prophecy is not go buy a lottery ticket tonight because you're going to win. That's not prophecy, right? That's actually witchcraft. But if you feel a stirring there in one of those gifts, then come up front and let's ask for an anointing. Let's let the Lord do his thing. I promise you're probably feeling a stirring for a reason. Because whether you want to like it or not, you have those gifts. If, you've, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior and you've invited the Holy Spirit into your life, Romans 11 is really clear. The gifts of the Spirit are irrevocable. It does not matter how good of a Christian you are. That's performance-based mindset, right? They are irrevocable. You cannot lose them. You can become less powerful in them because you're not just like a muscle, right? You're not exercising it. You're not using it. But it's irrevocable. The norm for the early church was complete partnership with one another for the purpose of ministering to other people and ministering to each other. And that's what we try to cultivate in the men's ministry and in our church. That is kind of an empty cultivation, if you will, absent those gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit being prevalent. And it's all predicated upon the presence of the Spirit, really inviting Him into those situations. Because if we don't have that anointing, then there's not really a true ministry. If you're a painter... What's the one thing you have to have to be a good painter? Paint, right? What do you say? Tape. Tape, yeah. A good scraper if you're me. You know, like how many coats do I need to put on here to cover that up? You have to have the right materials. If you're a carpenter, Rick's really gifted in woodworking. But if he doesn't have the right tools, how good of a woodworker is he? Right? He has to have the right materials. We have to have the anointing or there's no real ministry. That's our tools, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of all of that, of having the anointing, is what we've already talked about. So let's talk about releasing the anointing for about five minutes and then we'll get into impartation. Once you have that anointing in your life and you're tuned in, what do we do with it then? How do we release that into other people? Number one is, goes back to what I said a minute ago, the preached or taught word. We have to know the word. We have to be willing to study it, know it, and speak it into situations. What scriptures say about how powerful the word of God is? Piercing to bone and marrow, right? Now, if you're anything like me, I know people, my wife's one of them, seems to have a supernatural ability to recall any scripture with address no matter what situation they encounter, right? I'm not like that. But I know it well enough to know, okay, I know there's a scripture about this, and I'll go find it, right? If I don't know it off the top of my head, I'll go find it because I know it's there. 
That doesn't mean that's not going to change. It's one of the things I ask God for all the time. It's more of a knowledge of Scripture, kind of situational recall of Scripture is what I'm talking about, right? But number one, to release the anointing of the Holy Spirit, we have to be able to speak the Word. If you look at Jesus' teaching and how He went through His ministry, how often was He speaking the Word to people as it existed at the time? Number two, the laying on of hands. This was a major foundational teaching of the early church, that when people were prayed for, you laid hands on them. But that was one of the mechanisms the Holy Spirit uses to flow how, how we release that anointing. Kind of the underlying concept is, is that the Lord's placed the Holy Spirit within you, and through that human contact is one of the ways the Holy Spirit's imparted to other people. Okay, that may weird you out about laying hands on people or having hands laid on you. Sorry, but that doesn't really matter. This is a scriptural concept. The third way we see Jesus releasing the power, or releasing the anointing rather, is through declaring things in faith. He spoke directly to the fig tree, right, in faith. He spoke to sickness, spoke to the demons in faith, with the word, and through the laying on of hands. Last thing, maintaining the anointing. We've talked about receiving it. We've talked about ministering it. Now let's talk about how to maintain it. How do we keep it within ourselves? You have to learn to rest. Because when you minister to people, especially if you do it in large amounts, it's tiring. How many of you are at Word Spirit Power? And watch Charles Karn and those guys walk around. They got tired. And I promise it's not just because they're older guys. Right? Charles Karn's 88. Right? If that's not a picture of what, how I want to finish my race, is, I mean, he's, he's so tired, his legs don't work, and he's still crawling for people to lay his hands on them and pray for them. That's a good, it's a good role model, in my opinion. But they get tired, and they recognize, okay, for any of you, for, did you follow one of them around, right? I've done it before, where you follow them around because all of a sudden their legs just quit working, and you've got to catch them and hold them back up. They'll tell you when it's time, hold on, we got to stop. i got to stop and go over here and pray to get filled back up. Same thing's true for us, right? We've got to be filled. We've got to rest. So in closing, real quick, we have to know without question that we're going to interact with God as a person. We're going to interact with the Holy Spirit as a living, breathing person. We have to obey Him. We've got to commune with Him daily through our lives, get filled up, and then operating in the anointing, pour out to other people. Because then what do they do? They get filled up. And then they pour out to other people, and it just builds and builds and builds and builds. That's what's happened in the men's ministry here. Even 10 years ago, we weren't this big. You know, boot camp was couple hundred, something like that, 10 years ago. Today we're nearing 400 going to boot camps. That's the product of people really being filled and pouring into other people and building other people up. That's the purpose of this Man Academy is to grow the next round.